He was a morbidly obese surgeon destined for an operating table and an early death. Now he's a rebel MD who is fabulously fit and fighting to make America healthy again. This is Stay Off My Operating Table with Dr. Philip Ovedia. Welcome back, everybody. After the excitement of last week's podcast with Brian Keith, uh, Dr. O and I both need to take a breath. Lord, that man has a lot of energy. <clears throat> great to be back with you this week, Jack. And uh, yeah, that was a great episode. I hope everyone's taking a listen. If not, uh, please go back and listen to last week with Brian Keith. Um, but uh, I think it's a good opportunity for us to uh, take a step back and we're going to do uh, some topics that have been uh, kind of uh, at the forefront and we've I've been getting a lot of questions on from, you know, uh, followers on social media. So we figured we would do an episode where we would uh, dig in to some of the myths around uh, ketogenic diets. Good deal. Well, these are things that I, I, I got to admit, I started doing keto diet off and on, oh, I want to say six or seven years ago. And I assure you, I've heard all of these things said to me. I would love to hear a professional insight on these. So if with, sure thing. with your permission. We, oh, yeah. Yeah, Go I ahead. was just going to say, before we get to the actual myths, uh, I think one kind of just uh, concept that is important to clear up is ketogenic diets as sort of a uh, you know term that I think is more used in the uh, maybe healthcare field uh, versus the popularized keto diet that's out there today. And I think it is important to kind of clarify what may or may not be different about those two. And so yes, from a, please. yeah, from a medical standpoint, from the sort of, you know, uh, clinical side of things, a ketogenic diet is any diet that has you primarily burning fat for energy as opposed to sugar or glucose or carbohydrates for energy. Uh, the standard American diet, uh, being very heavy in carbohydrates, um, has our bodies primarily ru running on sugar and primarily burning carbohydrates and sugar for our energy source. Okay. Ketogenic diets, um, which are going to be low in carbohydrates and low in sugar, um, causes your body to switch to burning fat primarily, and the breakdown of fat uh, are what are called ketone uh, ketones or ketone bodies, and so that's where the name the ketogenic diet comes from. And the ketogenic diet was actually first described uh, in the early 1900s uh, as a uh, therapeutic diet for kids who were suffering from epilepsy, from seizures, and prior right. to the um, discovery of medications to treat those conditions, uh, the ketogenic diet was really the only uh, treatment available to those children. Now, we fast forward to modern times, and it was discovered that, you know, ketogenic diets can be useful for a variety of conditions, including obesity. Uh, and uh, more recently, I would say within the past 10 to 15 years, the keto diet has been popularized. And so, 
Yeah. What's the keto diet? Yeah. So, you know, what happens with the keto diet is basically, uh, you, you know, in an attempt to eliminate sugar and carbohydrates, um, you increase the fat in the diet and uh, the keto diet has become popularized for, you know, weight loss and lots of other benefits that go along with it. Uh, but, you know, the problem that I see today, and I talk about this in uh, Stay Off My Operating Table, the book, is that um, we now can go to the supermarket and we can see a lot of products that are labeled keto. Oh. And there's really... First of all, no regulation behind that. You know, food companies can literally slap the words keto on anything. And there's no like keto organization that certifies things as keto or, or you know, says that they really are keto or really are not. Uh, and or what the food companies have done to, you know, uh, latch on to this craze is they make basically junk processed food. Uh, in a ketogenic way. So they take out the traditional, you know, sugar and flour and high carbohydrate ingredients, and they substitute other things in there like, um, you know, um, alcohol uh, based uh, products, uh, things like erythritol, uh, other sweeteners, uh, alternative flours like nut flours or, you know, coconut flour. And they label it keto and everyone therefore assumes that it's going to get them the benefits of the ketogenic diet. And that likely is not true. Uh, so that's what I always caution people about the keto diet is, you know, getting on a ketogenic diet, I think can be very beneficial for a number of different conditions. Uh, it can certainly help with weight loss. Uh, it can help with diabetes control. Uh, but um, you know, you have to be careful about products, processed food products uh, that are labeled as keto and realize that they may not be any better than their, you know, full sugar, full, full carb alternatives because they're still just a heavily processed food with lots of the other undesirable ingredients. So probably this takes us back to what I guess is probably law number one in Dr. Ovedia's how to eat, eat whole real foods. Exactly. And if you construct a ketogenic diet, so one that is, you know, higher in fat, lower in carbohydrates, and will get your body into the state of ketosis, if you construct that from whole real food, I think it's going to be very beneficial for, for uh, you know, most people. Uh, but if you're constructing a keto diet out of processed food, uh, you may not be getting, uh, you know, any benefit from that. Seems like there's a, a market opportunity for a keto certification, a nonprofit keto certification company or something that that tests all these things that claim to be ketogenic or keto friendly or whatever. And you know, maybe grades them or ranks them or something. Surely there is somebody in our listening audience who's capable of putting that together. I don't have the time myself. <laughs> okay. Um, I've got a list of 10 questions people ask about uh, a ketogenic lifestyle or keto diet. 
I don't think we're going to get to all 10 today. Will it be okay if we kind of split this into two different episodes? Yeah, I think that will make a great uh, couple of episodes. All right. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to just jump into these questions. Um, first question. Um, I've heard it said that you can't stay on a keto diet. It's okay to do it for a little while, but it's not good for you to be on be on a ketogenic diet as a as a lifestyle. True or false, and why? Yeah, I think that's general. I think that's false. Um, I know many people who have sustained ketogenic diets, you know, consistently for many years. Um, again, you know, we go back to the root of the ketogenic diet, treating children with epilepsy and, you know, these children and then into adulthood maintain these diets for, you know, their lifetime, essentially, or most of their lifetime, um, out of necessity. We can also go back to our, uh, evolution as humans and, you know, Prior to the advent of modern agriculture, you know, 10,000 years ago, uh, the evidence would suggest that we were probably in a state of ketosis um, for the vast majority of our time because, you know, carbohydrates and sugar weren't readily available. uh, And, um, you know, there may have been some seasonality there. We may have come out of ketosis for brief periods of time. Uh, but the vast majority of our existence uh, from an evolutionary standpoint seems to have been in a ketogenic state. Uh, so me, I that's, don't. That's the, that is the most powerful argument in my mind is up until the advent of agriculture, what, 10,000 years ago, carbs just weren't readily available. Exactly. I, I, I think that's a very powerful argument. Yeah. Sorry, and, didn't, didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, I mean, that that really is probably the basis of the discussion for me. Uh, it kind of starts and ends there. You know, realize that uh, the experiment in all this is the modern diet. Um, and yeah. it has still been a very small part of our existence as humans that we've been on uh, that experimental diet. And uh, I really see no evidence that people can't stay on ketogenic diets for long periods of time. Um, You know, ultimately, there may be reasons that you want to cycle in and out of ketosis. And I think done correctly, that also can be a good strategy and and is not necessarily going to be harmful. Um, I do think we have evidence all around us today that never getting into ketosis, um, staying on the high carbohydrate standard American diet for your lifetime is not beneficial. Um, and again, we go back to 88% of us, uh, of the adults in the United States, not being metabolically healthy. So I think, uh, we can certainly point to the evidence that not getting into ketosis for periods of time is probably harmful. Uh, but I have never seen any good evidence that, uh, you can't sustain a ketogenic diet or that there's some danger to sustaining a ketogenic diet over a long period of time. Yeah, so we can flip that around and say there's very clearly danger in never getting into a ketogenic state. We have the evidence all around us. So, hey, do you mind if I, I follow a, a brief rabbit trail? Sure. I wanted, wanted to ask about epilepsy. 
Um, an old girlfriend was a nurse and she came home one night and talked about this, this young man, I want to say in his twenties who presented at the emergency room in a, uh, with severe seizures and he never had any history. I'm sorry. It wasn't the young man. It was his father. The, the young man brought the father in, never had any history of, uh, of seizures at all. And he just suddenly started having seizures and they couldn't figure anything out. And, and what they ultimately ended up doing was, uh, getting him into a state of ketosis and it seemed to stop the seizures. So I've, you know, that was the first time I'd ever run into that particular story. My question, the rabbit trail I wanted to follow was what's the speculation? Why does being in a state of ketosis help the help epilepsy do we have any clue well yeah it seems to do you know again you know we um our bodies uh and all of the organs within our bodies have the capability of running on you know two two primary fuel sources sugar or ketones um yes alcohol is also a fuel source technically but the primary you know fuel sources for our bodies are either sugar or ketones and there, you know, there continues to be a debate about which one is better uh, and whether specific organs function better on, um, you know, on one versus the other fuel source. Uh, but, you know, again, most of the evidence that I have seen is that the brain in particular favors uh, ketones as its energy source uh, and that, you know, getting into a ketogenic state uh, can be beneficial for brain health in general, um, as well as, uh, for these seizure, uh, states. And again, we have very good evidence, you know, when you go back to the early days of epilepsy management, um, that there were some, you know, pretty remarkable improvements with ketogenic diets, uh, at a time when there was no other option available. And, now in modern times where we do have medications available, kids that remain, you know, kids that are resistant to the medication treatment will oftentimes improve with ketogenic diet strategies. Uh, wow. Now, you know, you could look at that and say, why don't we try the diet first? Uh, that, you know, gets into the whole rabbit hole of, of pharmaceuticals and, and yeah. uh, you know, our food environment. Uh, just it, it's difficult to keep kids on a ketogenic diet these days with their food environment, uh, unfortunately. But um, all of the evidence seems to point to the brain does work better in general on ketones as its uh, energy source, as its primary energy source. And uh, especially for people with seizures, uh, this seems to be a beneficial uh, state to be in. I I could follow this one down a deeper and deeper rabbit trail because it's just fascinating to me. But we're going to move on, and we might uh, need to uh, find a uh, maybe a neurologist to bring on on oh, a future episode cool. to really go into the mechanisms there. That would be really cool. I would love that. <laughs> I've heard this one too. This is, this is question number two. And I have heard this one. If you, if you go to keto, if you, if you start eating keto regularly, it'll cause diabetic ketoacidosis. Um, now I personally had to ask what the heck's diabetic ketoacidosis. So I guess my question is two things. What is that? And is that true? Is that a serious concern? 
Yeah, no, it is not a uh, concern at all. Um, so, you know, and it really just comes from the confusion that the words are close to each other. You know, ketoacidosis has keto in it. Uh, but right. ketoacidosis is a, you know, uh, a unique sort of physiologic event that happens with diabetics uh, when their blood sugar gets very high and uh, they then end up ex with an excessive amount of ketones in their bloodstream that can't be properly metabolized and broken down and you become, um, you know, acidotic. Uh, your, your blood uh, pH becomes abnormal. Uh, but that is a completely different situation than uh, people going into ketosis. Uh, and just, as I said, ketosis just means that your body is primarily burning ketones for fuel as opposed to uh, glucose. Uh, but there is no, um, you know, it's not that one leads to the other, certainly not that dietary ketosis is going to lead to ketoacidosis. Uh, so, um, it, it just, it's a, it's a common misconception, even among healthcare practitioners, to be honest. Uh, but it, it's just a miss, it's really just a misunderstanding of, you know, those two words being closely related to each other. Oh my God. <laughs> it's because when you guys go through, through college with your, you know, science degrees, they don't send you through enough literature courses. That's got to be what it is. Uh, okay. The classics fix everything. Now, excuse me, I'm swallowing an almond here. Um, this question number three, of all the questions, you know, I read all 10 of these and most of them I, I'd had people warn me about. This one I didn't ever hear, but this is apparently fairly common. Keto will cause hypoglycemia. What's the story there? Yeah. So, um, you know, it is true that when you uh, go into a state of ketosis and your body is primarily burning uh, fat for fuel and running off of ketones, uh, it has less need for glucose. And um, that can that can and in most cases does lower your blood sugar, which is a good thing. Um, I know people I've personally experienced uh, you know, when I am in sort of deep ketosis, my blood sugar will run at what are considered to be exceedingly low levels, you know, down into the 50s, even into the 40s sometimes. Um, but I am not experiencing any of the symptoms that typically go along with low blood sugar, what's called hypoglycemia in the uh, medical speak. Uh, and Again, it's just that the body doesn't need the sugar around because it's using the ketones for energy. And so it will allow your blood sugar to get lower than it normally would when you are not in a state of ketosis. So having very low blood sugar can be very problematic um, if you're not in a state of ketosis and you're running off of blood sugar for energy. Uh, but the low blood sugar that we see in people on ketogenic diets is not necessarily a bad thing. And this is why the ketogenic diet is so effective as a therapy for diabetes, because it lowers blood sugar. 
Now, you do need to be very careful if you're a diabetic and you're considering a a ketogenic diet. You need to work with your physician because being on medications to lower your blood glucose Mm -hmm. uh, can can be very dangerous in that situation. Uh, So, you know, you want to work with a knowledgeable physician if you're diabetic and you're considering a ketogenic diet. But I do know many, many diabetics now who successfully manage their condition, both type one and type two diabetics, um, you know, with dietary ketosis. And they just, uh, I know type one diabetics who uh, do dietary ketosis and they, you know, have a much lower uh, need for insulin and are able to run normal blood glucoses, normal hemoglobin A1Cs, uh, you know, and are quite successful with that strategy. But again, they're not doing it on their own. They're working with a physician who's knowledgeable about this and can help them uh, understand that. Okay. So what I'm hearing is when you measure blood sugar, the number that you come up with can be either good or bad. There are other factors to be taken into account. If a person is not in a ketogenic state, low blood sugar numbers can be a warning sign of serious problems. However, however, the identical measurement in a person who is in a ketogenic state is basically just normal, natural, the body's doing what it's supposed to do, nothing to worry about. Correct. Is that about right? Yep. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, We're plowing through here. Um, Question number four. And God, I can't tell you how many times I have heard this one. I'm not a doctor. I've just, I've just done keto off and on for six years. And my experience says this is not true, but I want, I want the doctor's opinion. Here's the question. Won't keto deprive your brain of glucose? Yeah. So again, you know, like we uh, kind of talked about on the epilepsy topic, your, your brain as with most organs in your body, can run off of glucose, ketones, or both. Um, And, you know, when you're in the ketogenic state, yes, your brain is using less glucose, um, but that never gets to it, you know, that's not a danger. It doesn't get to a dangerous point. Uh, And I have, you know, almost universal, one of the uh, first things that people notice with a ketogenic diet is they describe their mental fog clearing. They describe a sharpness and alertness uh, that goes along with being in ketosis. Um, So, you know, again, it's this, the, the true myth, the true myth misconception here is that the brain requires glucose, requires high levels of glucose to function well. And again, the opposite uh, seems to be true. And, you know, we can go back to uh, evolutionary history uh, or we can just look at the modern experience now of the the millions and millions of people who have benefited from ketogenic diets uh, and are not running into any sort of issues related to low brain glucose levels. Yep. Okay. Well, that's been my experience. I've, I, I, that one just always struck me as if it was causing problems, I really think I would know. I think I'd feel it in it. And the, it's actually the opposite. That's been my experience is when I'm in a state of ketosis, 
it's subtle, but everything in 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 the skull here just feels like it's working more efficiently, faster, less effort. I don't know. It's cool. All right, uh, we are at question number five, and this this is both one that, if it's true, is pretty damn scary and is right up your alley. I think you're the guy who we really do need to know about this. Uh, need to get this get this question answered. Here's the question: Will being in ketosis impair heart function and or cause vascular damage? What's the story there? Yeah. So again, similar to the brain, uh, there is no evidence that being in ketogenic states is harmful to the heart. And to the contrary, there is some evidence that it may be beneficial, uh, specifically for people who have heart failure. So they already have poor heart function. Uh, there have been some studies now that have shown that, you know, ketosis, um, whether that's achieved through dietary means or supplementation with ketones, uh, can actually be beneficial to heart function uh, and can help to improve heart function in that situation. Uh, and, you know, the the reality is, is that I have no idea where this myth even comes from. Uh, well, that was going to be my question. Where, yeah, where did know, that come from? I, I, I'm really not sure where this one, like this one is one of those that you seem to have just been made up uh, out of the, uh, you know, uh, just pulled out of, uh, someone's, you know, mind that wanted to discount, discourage the ketogenic diet, because I have never seen any evidence that it can be damaging to heart function. Uh, and to the contrary, in certain situations, it seems to be beneficial to cardiac function. Okay. I'm going to follow up on that because, and it's not that I, I doubt you, I'm actually fully on board with this. However, I do think there's a legitimate question behind this. Heart function makes sense. I'm going to totally trust you there. The, the second part of the question was vascular damage. And mm-hmm. what I've had, you know, non-believers say to me is, aren't you worried about all that meat and all the car- all the, the uh, cholesterol that you're going to have build up in your arteries from all the cholesterol from all the meat and fats that you're eating? And my answer is always, no, I'm not worried. However, given the last 40 years of history, I don't think that's an unreasonable fear. Yes. Could you address that? Yeah, exactly. So there is this concern that, you know, uh, ketogenic diets being higher in fat uh, and, you know, lower in carbohydrates are going to lead to uh, heart disease or vascular disease. Um, and specifically there are concerns, um, around, you know, increased saturated fat, primarily from animal based proteins, uh, leading to increased blood cholesterol and increased heart disease. And this, you know, goes back to the whole diet heart hypothesis, uh, and understand that this was a a hypothesis that was put forth, uh, starting around the 1950s. It was primarily advanced by a uh, scientist by the name of Ansel Keys. Uh, and, you know, he uh, was a uh, firm believer, or at least, you know, he purported that, um, you know, increased consumption of dietary saturated fat leads to increased blood cholesterol levels, specifically what we call LDL, 
uh, cholesterol or bad cholesterol. And that then leads to the development of atherosclerotic, you know, plaque buildup within the arteries of the heart and, and in arteries outside of the heart as well. Uh, and, and really, neither side of that equation has been definitively proven. Um, the relationship between our dietary consumption of fat and our cholesterol levels in the bloodstream is inconsistent at best, and many would say there is no relationship. And then the relationship between elevated LDL cholesterol and, and the development of heart disease remains controversial as well. Uh, and, you know, as I've said many times on this program, you know, I say in the book, uh, my take on the situation is that elevated blood cholesterol levels are only harmful in the presence of inflammation and damage to those cholesterol particles. Uh, so you have to have damage to the blood vessel walls. You have to have abnormal, uh, what we call oxidized cholesterol particles. Uh, and that combination then leads to buildup uh, of these plaques that can ultimately lead to heart disease. Uh, but if you, there is no good evidence that having an elevated LDL cholesterol level without inflammation and in a non-oxidized you know, oxidized environment, uh, that that is dangerous and that that leads to heart disease. Uh, so, you know, the but, whole but myth, you... the whole myth then that keto is going to cause heart disease uh, is, you know, based off of that. And so right. uh, if you believe that, you know, ele- that eating more saturated fat uh, and having higher, you know, blood cholesterol levels in and of themselves are going to cause uh, heart disease, uh, then you might conclude that um, you know ketogenic diets are going to cause heart disease. But again, we have no evidence of that. We have plenty of people who have now been doing these ketogenic diets for long periods of time. Uh, we do not see rampant heart disease uh, among them. Um, and you know, to the contrary, I would say that ketogenic diets tend to lower inflammation, lower blood glucose, uh, and you know, lower the overall risk profile for heart disease, even if they raise your LDL cholesterol level. And one other important point, uh, and there was actually a pretty good study that came out on this last year, is that the elevated LDL cholesterol that some, you know, that occurs uh, with, you know, going on these low carbohydrate, high fat diets uh, is a very inconsistent finding as well. And when you look kind of overall at the population level, you actually can't demonstrate that, um, you know, a relationship between dietary fat consumption, specifically, you know, high fat, low carb diets and elevated LDL cholesterol levels. Uh, So, you know, again, all of this is based on what I consider to be the false narrative of the diet heart hypothesis. And uh, I you know, don't have any problem with people maintaining a ketogenic diet. And I have seen no evidence that it leads to heart disease directly. Would you expand a little bit on, I think you called it oxygenated cholesterol? Uh, Oxidized. So oxidized cholesterol. I I don't think I'd ever heard anybody talk, indicate that there were two different states for cholesterol. And it sounds like you, what you're saying is there's, there's the normal healthy state and then there's a, an abnormal healthy, an abnormal state. 
expand on that a little bit and and talk tell me about how that happens and how to avoid it and all that kind of stuff yeah basically um you know uh oxidation of uh you know fatty acids in this case um you know i guess we all sort of know what oxidation is you know rust is oxidation right uh it's when you know oxygen uh molecules you know combine with um, you know, uh, on chemically this, bond to something else. Yeah. Typically bond to something else that they're not supposed to bond to. And it causes damage. Uh, specifically when we look at cholesterol particles, what happens when they get oxidized is that their, you know, configuration changes and they then and that changes the shape yeah, of they, the molecule, right? Correct. And they become okay. more likely to basically stick to each other and stick oh. to blood vessel walls. Um, and so, you know, and that oxidation, okay, okay. That, that oxidation, makes sense. yeah, tends to go along with inflammation in the body, in particular, uh, and inflammation, you know, of the is blood there a causal wall. relationship, or is it just correlated? Well, again, you know, we're uh, we're trying to, uh, I would say, we're trying to figure that all out, you know, uh, but it does seem to be that you need the combination of elevated cholesterol levels and inflammation uh to you know to ultimately lead to heart disease uh and you know we 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 you know this is all evolving science um there is ongoing studies to try and better answer the question the reality is is that we've never really studied a population uh that had high cholesterol with low inflammation because it you know again the standard American diet causes high cholesterol with high inflammation. Uh, But now we have, you know, these ketogenic diets, low carbohydrate diets, uh, and we're seeing more people um, with this. um, I guess let me step back something. There is very clearly uh, well-described what is called atherogenic dyslipidemia. Uh, And again, that fancy words for meaning dyslipidemia, abnormal lipid profiles, abnormal cholesterol profiles. Atherogenic means that it promotes and leads to the development of atherosclerosis, of plaque buildup in the vessels. Uh, And atherogenic dyslipidemia is characterized on blood testing by high triglycerides, low HDL, which is your good cholesterol, and high LDL cholesterol, bad cholesterol. Right. Um, you know, so, but what we see in people who, you know, are on ketogenic, low carbohydrate diets is that they get high LDL cholesterol, similar to the atherogenic dyslipidemia, but they have low triglycerides and high HDL, which is, you know, our good cholesterol. So that's an right. opposite situation there. And the reality is, is that we don't have data, you know, to tell us, is that dangerous or not dangerous? There is some data we can pull out of other studies and stuff that would suggest that it's not dangerous. Um, But I also know that there are a couple of active uh, investigations to try and better answer this question. And, you know, I'll put a plug in here as well, um, that I think that LDL cholesterol and or total cholesterol are not good measures of heart risk and that we need to do more 
you know, a deeper assessment of risk based on both other studies, you know, other laboratory studies that we can do that looks at different uh, particle sizes. There's something called an NMR uh, lipid part- lipid uh, panel. So it breaks down the sizes of your lipid particles more than just LDL versus HDL. Uh, And then we have the imaging studies like the coronary artery calcium scans that can actually show us whether or not people are, you know, building up uh, plaque and calcification in their hearts. Uh, And and that's why I think, you know, ultimately we need to get beyond the focus on LDL cholesterol to really figure out, you know, what are the situations that lead to people developing heart disease. Because I'm kind of nerdy like this sometimes, I, I'm fascinated with the the chemical reaction that occurs when cholesterol gets oxidized. So an oxygen molecule bonds with the cholesterol molecule or more than normal, changes the shape of the molecule, I'm guessing changes the size of the molecule, possibly even changes the the valence of the molecule. And all of those things go together, all of those factors are at work that cause cholesterol that normally wouldn't stick to itself or to the vessels of the of the body to do just that, to clump together and, and make blockages. Am, am, am I, do I have that story pretty close to right? I don't have to be perfect. But. Yes. Yeah. I think you have, uh, you know, kind of it, it good enough uh, without getting uh, too deep into the weeds here. Uh, and, you know, the bottom line being that L- oxidized cholesterol is a damaged form of cholesterol within our bloodstream that then, um, you know, has it leads to the, you know, downstream effects that we're trying to avoid of, of you know, basically clumping of these particles and, and sticking to the blood vessel walls and ultimately forming the plaques uh, that cause blockages within these blood vessel walls. And the, the, um, the difficult part is that, you know, um, it's only been pretty recently that we've been able to actually measure uh, levels of oxidized cholesterol. And it's, it's not part of the standard cholesterol panel. Most well, physicians. That was uh, going to be my question. Is yeah. there, is there a way to measure your percentage of oxidized versus normal cholesterol. Yeah, when you're there measuring are. Are they just measuring all of it? Well, that's the part. No, you know, the no, standard cholesterol panel just measures all of it. Uh, there is advanced testing that's uh, available now if your physician knows about it and knows how to interpret these tests. Uh, that can show you how much of your cholesterol is actually oxidized uh, versus non-oxidized. Okay, we've probably spent 10 minutes longer on cholesterol than anybody but me is interested in, but I've got your attention, so I'm going to take advantage of it. Why does our cholesterol get oxidized? What what happens? Do we know? Well, you know, it certainly um, is... um, I would say that people who have high levels of inflammation in their bodies in general, in their bloodstream in general, uh, you know, have more oxidized cholesterol. Um, the specific things that are causing it, you know, there's a, there's increasing evidence that um, uh, these high polyunsaturated processed oils, the vegetable and the seed oils, uh, are more prone uh, to becoming oxidized. 
Um, you know, again, outside of the body, we know this is the case because, you know, if you leave those things in your uh, pantry long enough, they become rancid. Uh, whereas, you know, I think we've talked about on previous, uh, on a previous episode that our grandparents and our great grandparents used to leave the jar of bacon fat, you know, sitting outside by the sink and it would be good for, you know, years. Uh, yeah. And never really become oxidized because it's a it's a heavily saturated fat as opposed to these unsaturated fats. The oxidation um, occurs at points of unsaturation. Exactly. So the more unsaturated, the came on for me. Yeah, I get more, it. Um, so again, uh, if you're uh, you know within your bloodstream, we can uh, picture that the same thing happens. Um, again, inflammation leads to free radicals within the bloodstream, and this is part of the oxidation process. Uh, so um, the, the bottom line, I think the simple take-home measure is, you know, the more inflammation you have, the more oxidized your cholesterol is going to be, and the more likely it is, therefore, to lead to uh, heart disease and, and cardiovascular disease. I've actually really enjoyed these last 10, 12 minutes. This has been really good. All right. Well, we've we've gotten through half this list that I have here on my desk. Uh, what do you say we pick this up in our next episode? Yeah, I and think we'll get that will, next uh, part two to this will be great. Outstanding. All right. Well, for Dr. Philip Ovedia, I'm Jack Heald. You can follow Dr. Ovedia on Twitter at iFixHearts. And uh, I suggest that you go to his website, ifixhearts.co. He's got a, a test there. You can a self-test and see if you are metabolically healthy. Very worthwhile. It could save your life. Until next time, this is the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. Chances are you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't need to change your life and get healthier. So take action right now. Book a call with Dr. Avadia's team. One small step in the right direction is all it takes to get started. Contact us at ifixhearts.com slash talk. That's ifixhearts.com slash talk.